Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. All right, take your Bibles, open them to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to pick up last time. Uh, in verse 17 where we left off. And this is the highlight of Abraham's life. I mean, this is the pinnacle of Abraham's life. And I've titled our Bible study, By Faith, Abraham Did the Impossible. Abraham Did the Impossible. So that's the title. I use the phrase, did the impossible. But really, the whole chapter, all of chapter 11, and I mean, really, if you step back, All of the Bible is filled with the impossibility of man and the possibility of God. It's filled with the the lack of power, the lack of resources. It's filled, the Bible's filled with man's lack, but it's also filled with God's supply. And we see that so clearly in the life of Abraham. Remember when Jesus was talking and he was teaching uh, the rich young ruler, and he was telling the rich young ruler, look, this is the issue, this is it. What you need is you need to sell all your things and you should come and follow me. Now that wasn't a universal thing. It wasn't something that everyone needed to do. But what Jesus did is he placed his finger on the heart of the issue in this man, just like he does with us. I mean, I'm always amazed as Bible studies go out, there are many, many people listening, even in one room, many people listening and people walking out, same Bible study, same applications, same scriptures, but they all walk out with something different. Why? Because the Holy Spirit loves to use the word. And, and it's not just in a room, right? Because you podcast Bible studies, you're watching online, you're listening on the radio. I'm always reminded what a blessing it is to provide our city with 24-7, every day of the week, every hour of the week, every minute of the week, literally every second of the week is filled with worship and the word that originates from this little church. And so it's amazing how God uses that in so many different ways. This guy, this was his issue. His issue was he was married to his possessions. And Jesus said, look, you want to follow me? This is what it's going to take. And then in watching him walk away all discouraged, it led to a question of his followers. And his disciples asked Jesus this question, who can be saved? Like if that guy can't be saved, he he has everything that somebody you think would need. He's got a religious upbringing, everything going for him. If that guy can't be saved, I think is on their mind, then who can be saved? And the answer in Luke chapter 18, verse 27 says, Jesus answered, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. And we just need to let that sink in. Only God can do the impossible. And really, of all the impossibilities we face, all the things in our lives, all of the things that we come up on, the the true impossibility on the earth today is for a person to be born again. That's impossible. Nobody can be born again on their own. Nobody. You can't be born again. Your mom can't be born again. Your your brother, your sister, your coworker, you can't be born again on your own. There's nothing you can will it. You can't work for it. You can't wish it. The only way to be born again is to take the impossibility of a spiritually lifeless life and offer it to God in repentance. Jesus said it this way, unless a man is born again, he won't see the kingdom of heaven. 
And, and so being born again is a work from on high. And don't let any religion rip you off. Don't let any Bible teacher, don't let any YouTube video rip you off to thinking you need to work your way for salvation or somehow the more you work and the more obedient you are, the more God loves you. It's not true. The impossibility of you and I becoming a, in a right relationship with God, that impossibility has been matched by the cross, by the cross of Jesus Christ. And Paul would know best as he talked about having needs. He knew how to be, in Philippians chapter four, verse 11, we learn how faith can give us access to power, strength, and action. Where Paul says, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everything, everywhere in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. And then he closes it off and he would know. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so now we come to uh, Hebrews chapter 11 uh, in this time in Abraham's faith walk where he's brought to another place of decision. You know, from strength to strength, he's taken from one place of faith to another place of faith, and this is a huge one. I mean, this is one that I don't know that I would pass, or I would have passed in my life. Verse 17, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac, your seed shall be called. Accounting that God was able, right? The impossibility. But listen, God is able. He accounted that God was able. And I think maybe that's just a word from the Lord for someone. Like, you need to choose to count the faithfulness of God. In all your counting and all your math and all your arithmetic and all your concerns, you've got to count in the power of God. And his ability. I know he's shown it to you before, but you need to, to, to account that God was able. For him, it was able to raise, the, raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. And today is a really high point in the life of Abraham. By, by faith, Abraham offered up his son Isaac as a sacrifice, which I guess we could just end the Bible study there and just say, wow. Uh, because all that's encompassed in the emotion and the drama of this episode is just beyond our ability to comprehend. Now, I don't have an only begotten son. I have two sons and a daughter. And one of those sons uh, passed away, went into the presence of the Lord about seven years ago. I know many of you know that. Like that, to, to even think that I could be a part of that and to think that God, that, that God would lead me down a path like that now, I do have to say on a very smaller scale, like, you know, you got Abraham up here and Ed's Ray down here. I do know that while we were at the hospital praying and while we were uh, desperate for him to wake up, I, I, do, I do remember this sense of God saying, well, Ed, will you trust me with him? And it wasn't this, like, because for me, in my heart, I said, of course I trust you with him and I hope he wakes up. <laughs> It wasn't I trust and then to think the worst. But Abraham, he thought, he, he considered the worst and still moved forward. This, this is, Abraham inspires us in all the drama and difficulty of our life. 
Because Abraham waited and waited and waited for the promise of God to come to pass through the birth of Isaac. And it came. And his 90-year-old wife had a baby. (laughs) And they named him Laughter. And yet now, many years later, as we come to this episode in Hebrews chapter 11, well, from Hebrews 11, let's go back to Genesis chapter 22. Let's reveal the, the whole story in Genesis chapter 22 because some time has passed in, from the birth of Isaac to this episode in chapter 22. And let me just say, what he learned, before we move into the text, what he learned with the deadness of Sarah's womb and the deadness of his own life, what he learned there, what he understood there, was that God can bring life from death. That was a lesson. You're involved in things right now and you don't quite understand what the lesson could be. And you don't quite understand how God is going to use this and what he's going to do and how he's going to use it in your life. And, and you're not quite sure what, why God would allow this and, and, and what lessons are to be learned. But through this, it was more than a miraculous birth. Abraham was in school. And you and I are in school. If we'll take the approach of allowing God to teach us a few things about our lives through every circumstance, right? That doesn't the Bible say that God's working all things together for the good, for those that love him? Those are, so all things are gonna be a lesson for us. Abraham, he knew the promises of God. Abraham experienced faith. Abraham, all that, but he also learned this. Don't miss this. His wife, unable to conceive. His wife, unable to, uh, the, the deadness of his body, the deadness of his wife's womb taught him something, that God can bring life from death. And that's in his heart. That's how much he trusts God. That God can bring life from death. And we know that to be true when you fast forward into the life of Jesus Christ. That Jesus lived, died, and what? Rose again. God can bring life from death. Notice now, in Genesis 22, it says, Now it came to pass, this is verse 1, came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. Isn't that what Hebrews said? Hebrews said that he was tested. So here he is. He's tested by God and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him, And Isaac, his son, and he split the wood in the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. And this is so amazing, verse 5. And we will come back to you. That's confidence. Yeah, we're coming back. I want you guys to take care of this, but we're coming back. And O Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. Now, before we move on, Genesis chapter 22, we have a picture of the death of Christ from the father's perspective. 
Father's given us perspective. If you go to Psalm, if you're taking notes, you go to Psalm 22, you'll have the picture of the son from the son's perspective. And then if you go to Isaiah chapter 53, it'll give us the picture of the death of Christ from the believer's perspective. And then the gospels, they give us the perspective of the death of Christ from the Holy Spirit's perspective as, as you get different facets of the same activity. Now remember back in Genesis 18, God said this in verse 16. Then the men arose from there and looked toward Sodom. Abraham went with them to send them on their way. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. So we're in an environment of, of Abraham's life where God's not hiding things from him. Even though he's not revealing everything to him yet either. So he's not hiding, but he's also not revealing. Now between the birth of Isaac and the time we get to chapter 22, you know, different people have different time frames, but it's between 20 and 25 years later. So don't picture Isaac as some kid in a red wagon going up to Mount Moriah. He is a man. Now, my boys, as they grew up, they thought they, they could beat me up at various stages in their age. And don't tell them this, but they could actually beat me up far earlier than I ever told them that they could. But they ended up growing up you know, in the early 20s, like they were strong and working out. And even though there's still dad strength, I'm not gonna say it, but I guess I should. They could beat me up. They could beat me up. So I don't think Isaac here is someone that couldn't fight and say, dad, this, no way. So, so not only is the, is the, uh, is the spotlight on, on Abraham, but it's also on Isaac. And Isaac is a son who becomes a picture, Abraham a picture of, of the, our heavenly father, Isaac a type and a picture of Jesus Christ. And don't forget this, this whole scenario is all about Jesus Christ. And I want you to realize that Isaac is going up with his dad voluntarily submitting to his father's will. And you just have to learn to live that way, friend. I dare say that some of you listening to me right now, that is the problem in your life. You just won't submit yourself to the Father's will. You think it's a submission to your dad. You think it's a submission to your parents or your grandparents. You think it's a church submission issue. You think you don't want to submit to that pastor. Oh, I don't want to submit to you, pastor. I'm not going to submit to my overseer. I... It's not really a problem with him or her. It's a problem with God. Learning to submit. Learning to surrender. You know, the tests that's revealed here is actually not the first time Abraham's being tested. The test here is not the first time. If you recall, as we've studied through in Hebrews with Abraham and gone back to Genesis, there's, there's actually been uh, three tests so far that Abraham has come to and passed. The first test was his calling. Abraham was called out of his homeland and called to a place that God would show him. That was test number one. Test number two was God's command to separate from Lot. Now that seemed to be an easier test, although I don't think it was so easy because, you know, Lot was his nephew, was his relative. He loved Lot. He cared for Lot. 
But in order for him, remember we learned, in order to, you, sometimes you just gotta let go in, in order to lay hold of the promises of God. You just gotta let go. Sometimes there just needs to be separation. Strife is often the tool that God will lead to us to separate, you gotta let go in order to lay hold of what God has for you. So Lot was needed to be let go and they needed to separate. He passed that test. God's calling, God's command. And then thirdly, he was also given the test of God's concern for him to let go of Ishmael. Ishmael isn't, unfortunately in many Bible teachers and many Bible studies, the relationship between God and Ishmael is misrepresented. God loved his son Ishmael deeply. He cared deeply for Ishmael. And so to see a separation in order to prepare for what God wanted to do through his promise, even though Ishmael was not the promised child, Abraham loved him, cared for him. It was his boy. And yet God came to him and said, no, there's this Ishmael, as much as you love him, is not the promise. It's your, you work that out. That's your flesh. But God wasn't saying not love you, don't love your son. God wasn't telling Abraham not to care for your son. God was saying, Abraham, I have something else for you. And Abraham passed that test. Which brings us to the fourth test that we find in Abraham's life, which is the hardest of all, the most difficult. And you know, when I think of tests, I'm, I'm, for me, when I think of tests, like tests were always easy. I'm an easy, it's easy for me to take tests. I'm that kind of guy that could study the night before. I could study an hour before the test and, and pretty much ace it uh, before I take it. I know not many people have that, but that's, that's, how I, that's how I was. I was able, that's what's got me in a lot of trouble. I didn't need to study. I could study real quick and then take the test and go mess around and get in trouble. Um, but in my relationship with God, he doesn't allow me to do that. I, there's no shortcuts with God. I've had to learn to study for the test. You go, how do you mean? What do you mean study? How do you study for tests you don't even know are coming? Well, the study for tests that you don't know that are coming is to, first of all, learn from the test you've already taken. And secondly, the real test is actually not in the episodes, it's in faith and learning how to trust God in this current situation. Because whatever God is doing in your life right now, whatever God has in your life right now is preparing you for what's up ahead. I know for some of you, that's a very exciting thing. It's very exciting to think that what you're going through right now is good, it's awesome, it's wonderful, it's great, it's gonna lead to something even greater. And I agree, I love that. God is testing us with great things to prepare us for more great things. And I also realize that that may not be so encouraging for you that are in a real difficult time because like, man, when is it gonna be over? Like, can it just be done and I, I can learn what I need to learn and move on? But remember, whatever you're going through right now, whatever you're experiencing right now, is for the sake of preparing you for what's up ahead. And so Abraham, all these tests was preparing him for this moment. I bet you he didn't feel prepared. I'm sure if his emotions were revealed, kind of like Sarah before, right? Uh, here's the promise, but, but ah, that's great. This is not, never gonna happen. And yet her faith carried her through. Well, it's the same here with Abraham. And God uses pain and suffering and anguish as Abraham has experienced that before. Don't think to, to leave your homeland wasn't painful. Don't think to uh, separate from Lot and your family and all your nieces, nephews, wasn't painful. Don't think that letting go of Ishmael, thinking that what we did have a kid, this, here's your promise, here he is. You're like, no, that's not my promise. There's still more for you. 
wasn't painful. And it is in the school of pain that God will often strengthen us, pointing us to the Father, pointing us to the strength of the Son. And God indeed does use pain to strengthen our faith in Him. I know it's not an easy statement to accept. I thought God was a God of love, you say, and that He doesn't want anyone to experience pain or suffering. But the Bible and life experiences disagree with that. As we survey through the entirety of the Bible, what we find is spiritual growth is often centered around sacrifice and suffering. We desire, there's a picture in the Bible, you guys are familiar with it, that there's a picture in the Bible of being on the mountaintop and being at the pinnacle. And and even in our world, we use that phrase, get to the top, get to the top. But I remember the first time we moved here to Colorado, somebody took us over to Rocky Mountain uh, Forest National Park, and they took us up to that timberline or whatever, to the top where nothing grows. Nothing grows at the top. It's like whatever, some, all of a sudden it just ended. And I didn't understand. I didn't know idea. I, I understand now. I've never seen that before. But everything tends to grow in the valleys. But the problem is we don't want to be in the valleys. And if we're in a valley, we want to get out as fast as we can. Mountaintop, mountaintop, mountaintop. But that's where you lose your breath. That's where nothing grows. Like the growth comes in the valley. And I have found over the years that Christians that don't suffer much have a tendency to more, be more shallow in their walk with the Lord. They're the ones that tend to uh, have cliches and post weird things and They're the ones that don't seem to have a compassion or an empathy. It just seems to be, but then you go through something and man, your heart is just broken and then built and it's just wide open to minister to people and serve them. Those who have experienced heartache and pain and sorrow have a depth to their relationship with God, a growing depth. So God calls Abraham and it says he's tested. He's been prepared. Back at Genesis 22 now, he's been prepared He's been coached, and now it's examination time. Now it's the test. And in the Hebrew, this word literally means to prove the worth or value of. Abraham is about to face a remarkable, ironic test. He's waited for 25 years for this promised child. Now God's saying, give him back. Give him back as an offering. And it's an extraordinary test, an unusual test. And there's a, there's a difference, we're not going to develop it here, but you can go to James if you like. There's a difference between the testings of God and the temptations of sin. God is not the author of temptation to sin. He's not the author of what the devil's doing and the world system in your flesh to tempt you. The temptations are to draw you away from God, but the testings are to draw you closer to God. They're to prove you. And you go, well, what do you mean, prove me? Did God not know that Isaac, uh, did God not know the faith of Abraham? No, No, actually, he did know the faith of Abraham. You know who didn't know the faith of Abraham? Abraham. And God was revealing to him the depth of his faith. I'm shocked at times in my own life, I'm sure you are as well, that, man, I didn't know I had that faith. I didn't know that I could face that trial. I mean, you look at your own life, you look back, you go, man, I, I, I just, I didn't know I had it in me. But God lives in you. So of course we have it in us. But it's the tests that reveal that. And I want you to notice too that in this test, it came in a very sensitive area of his life. Very sensitive. Abraham loved his son Isaac. He's already had to deal with the issue with Ishmael. 
And God is asking him to give up his love, the love of his life, the, the hope of him in his heart. Uh, you could say this, and, and I don't mean it in the sense that his son was his possession, but by way of application, I think you could say God was asking Abraham for his prized possession. And, and I do know that there are parents that value their kids more than anything else. They value their kids more than their marriage, value their kids more than anything, value, sometimes value their kids more than their relationship with God. I'm not sure where Abraham fits in this, in this area, but I do know that he loved Isaac very much, very sensitive. It, it, you could say that, that all of the time in, in Abraham's life with Isaac was just, it's all about Isaac, all about Isaac, all about Isaac, and now God's saying, are you gonna give up your Isaac? Will you give up your prized possession? Or how about this as another application? Do, will you, are you willing to lay aside your passion or that prized possession? Or maybe so you can say this. Today, God is asking you, will you give up your Isaac for him? Will you give up your Isaac? Oh, I'm not talking about your kids. God's not doing it. This was a very unique one-time event that pointed very specifically, prophetically, messianically to the coming Savior. This isn't repeated again. God's not gonna, you come up, to, come up walk down the aisle when we got, start to gather again, you walk up the aisle and go, you know what, Ed? God spoke to me, I'm supposed to walk up to one of the peaks over here on the Rocky Mountains and sacrifice my kid. We will not let you do that. I don't think that's from the Lord at all. That's not his desire. But I can say this, you know, the truck that you're polishing and making sure it's all clean, everything you're doing to it and you're just hugging your truck, loving your truck, like, like if that's, and, and God says, will you give that up for the sake of supporting a missionary? Uh, don't have many people come up telling me that. Oh, I think God told me to, if you came up and said, I think God told me to sell my, tr- sell my truck, get a used car so I can support a missionary. Hey, how can we help you? And what missionary do you want to support? Because you know we hold on to things and we cling to things. And the question is not, I'm not telling you to sell your truck or whatever. The question is this, are you willing to release it? Because the things you're not willing to release, God will show you how tight of a hold you have on them to the point where you don't care anymore and then you just have a hard heart and then you start to distance yourself. The test with, with Abraham here is his, it says right here in verse two, take now your son, your only son, whom you love to go to the land of Moriah. Offer him there. And so notice in verse three, I have these circled. You might, wanna, you might wanna circle these because it shows the action, action, action. Obedience always leads to more obedience. So it says, Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took his two son, young men with him, two of his young men and Isaac, and he split the wood and he arose and went to the place. That's a life of faith. It's action, 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 and, action, and, action, and, over and over again. And this is no hesitation, continued, deliberate obedience in every area, considering it all. And it says in in verse four that for three days, and this is a hard one to consider, but for three days, Isaac was dead in the heart of Abraham. For three days. Again, that three days is very important because it points to the prophecy of Jesus being in the tomb, dead for three days and rising again on the third. And it says in verse five that Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and, and the lad, the young man, 
my 25-year-old son, <laughs> like the, the man there, we, you have this word lad uh, in, I have a, a reference here I wrote down, the young man. But the guy that can beat Abraham, old, Abraham's old. He was old when he had him. So now he's 20 plus years older. Uh, easily could have flipped Abraham around. Uh, but here he says, me and my grown son are gonna go on yonder and worship. They knew they were going to worship. They knew this was a time of worship. A time of faith and obedience is always worship. You think of worship, when I say, what do you, what would you think of worship today? Almost always you're gonna say, well I like that song, I didn't like that song. But worship's not just song. Worship is life. And sure, worship has room in music, but they're going up, all of this of Abraham is an act of worship. And then he expresses his faith here I don't know if he knew what would happen, how it would happen. I don't know even if he could conceive following through. All I know is in his heart, he knew that Isaac would be alive. Perhaps tying it together to life coming from the deadness of his womb. Notice, he took the wood in verse 6, the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac, took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went together. And Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, Dad... Or in my Bible, it says, my father. <laughs> it's like, dad, what are you doing? Uh, and he said, here I am, son. And he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. Now, there's some debate on whether in the original text, whether the word for belongs here. In some translations, in some commentaries, they would say, my son, God will provide himself. He will provide himself, the lamb, for a burnt offering. And the two of them went together. So here's Isaac carrying the wood, wondering what the offering's for, not quite understanding what's happening, what, what's going on. He does have a question, where's the lamb? Don't understand it. Uh, I, don't, I don't see, you, 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 you're not explaining to me what's happening. And it's easy to think of the great sacrifice of Abraham, but consider Isaac in his mid-twenties. Could have easily overpowered this 120-year-old dad, but he's obedient even to the point of death, the death of a cross. Verse 9, they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there. Now, building an altar, if you follow Abraham's life, this is what he did. He would go somewhere, build an altar. He was a man of worship. So this is not unusual. He builds the altar places the wood in order, but then he binds Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar at the end of verse nine upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes, looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horn. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it is said this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Or you might re know this as Jehovah Jireh, the God that provides. Now, in this dramatic event, we see how Abraham passes the test. He comes through with flying colors. It is a challenging time, 
but there on Mount Moriah, God will provide. And it'll be in the most challenging time for you that you'll learn of the provision of God. It'll be in the most challenging time for you as, as your faith is tested, as you're trusting God, even in your lack of understanding. You know, it wasn't just go to a place I'm gonna show you, Abraham, but he had to learn to trust God in something he didn't understand for something later that he wouldn't understand. Because listen, you're in the midst of a situation right now, you're like, well, I, I wanna understand it, I wanna understand it, I wanna understand it, and maybe, maybe, maybe God will let you understand it. But I promise you, there's another situation coming you won't understand. Like full understanding now is not going to be, it might be for an event, it might be for an episode, but maybe not. And I'll tell you for sure it's not going to be the rest of your life because God's ways are not our ways. His plans are not our plans. His, the, his means are not our means. And he'll explain to us or reveal to us what he wants us to know. Otherwise, he's going to teach us to trust him. And you can see in Abraham's life over and over and over again, trust me, trust me, trust me, trust me trust me. And it's an amazing thing how God does provide for him. Come back now to Hebrews 11 as we tie up. That is the, the true story behind this amazing statement of Abraham. And I've been encouraged. It caused me to go back to Genesis and keep reading and meditating on the life of Abraham as I've been looking and putting these studies together because we read it in just a couple verses and we have to go back and connect by faith. We got that. Abraham, okay, when he was tested, offered. He offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said in Isaac, your seed shall be called. I mean, we just built in last time how Sarah and they waited they got the promise and then they, they received the promise and then the promise was fulfilled and all that waiting time finally fulfilled and, and now so quickly to be offered up. And the key was in verse 19. This is an act that all of us can have and that is we need to learn to account or that word can be also translated reasoned or calculate. So you think you could say uh, that Isaac was offered up because Abraham reasoned that God was able, that he accounted that God was able, and that he calculated. And this is real important for you guys that like to, you know, you're a numbers person, you're a numbers guy, numbers gal, and you calculate this, calculate, well, good, because you have it in you. So now you take that piece of you, and you have that in you already, and you begin to calculate the faithfulness of God into your circumstance. Because if you fail to calculate the faithfulness of God into your circumstance, the circumstances will overwhelm you. And are we not in a time in our culture right now where people are overwhelmed, they're fearful, maybe even you as a believer. Like, like think of what you're feeling. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. Your, eternal, your, 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 your eternity is secure. You, you have the forgiveness of your sins, the guilt and shame removed from your life. You're a new creation in Christ. A new creation in Christ. All things have passed away. God has delivered you from this addiction and that addiction. He's given you new life, new purpose. He's rescued you, redeemed you, rescued your marriage. Gave, on and on the list goes. And you're still afraid. Can you imagine for a moment people that don't have a relationship with God, the depth of that fear? It would be too easy to say, oh, you know, what are you afraid of? What are you talking about? What are you afraid of? What are we afraid of? 
Well, it's the circumstance. That's what it is. It's the things outside of our control. That's what we're afraid. That's what I'm afraid of. When fear raises up in me, especially in this time, like, of course, I'm concerned. And then my concerns get connected to people. And I'm concerned for this people. I'm concerned for the elderly in our congregation, in our neighborhood. I'm concerned about a lot of things. But when I start thinking about it, I'm training myself to account that God is faithful. And that changes things. When I account and calculate and reason that God's faithful, then I can rest in trusting him. And automatically my faith is built up. And it doesn't, you know, I don't have faith for next week. I don't have faith for next year. I just have faith for right now abiding in Christ. And that's all Abraham had. We read this, I mean, we read 17, 18, and 19 in seconds. But this was an episode of his life. It took days. This was days in the life of Abraham. And I just, he encourages us here. Both Abraham and Isaac encourage us here. There are times in our lives when we're tested, when God is asking us to let go of the most precious things in our lives. It doesn't fit with our logic. Sometimes it doesn't fit with our theology. I don't mean true, like just solid biblical theology, but our own theology, how we approach things. But it'll never contradict the scriptures. Because we can make things up along the way that really aren't scripture. It's just our own personal theology, our own understanding of God. And so what does God do? He allows something to challenge our own understanding of God so that we can come to a better biblical perspective of who God is. And he'll allow these things in our lives. I'm smiling right now, but I don't always like it. I don't always embrace it. I don't always want it. But God is faithful. And one of the things we learned, I, I didn't point it out to you, but I want to do it now. Back in Genesis chapter 22, this true episode in the life of Abraham and Isaac in all of the Bible is the first mention of love. It's the first mention of love and the context is a father to his son. Which that picture of father to son is a picture and a type of God the father and God the son. And that unique love relationship within the Godhead. But what do we learn through trials and temptations? And what do we learn specifically through testings? We learn that God is love. That's what we learn of the nature of God's love for us. He lets us go all the way to the end. It's often at the last second, at least what we perceive. Like it's not anything new. Like like we perceive that God rescues us at the last possible second. No, he already knew he was going to rescue there. You just think it's the last possible second. He came right on time. There isn't a time in our lives that God is not on time. He's not early. He's not late. He's always on time. I know it feels like, oh, oh, just, oh, I don't know how long I could have lasted. Well, God already knew. And we learned that he loves us all along the way. And I, I know that we can say with definitive proof that we are better people because of the tests of God. This is a text, again, I don't have uh, time to develop it here, but this is also a text, and in case you ever meet somebody, it's not so popular. It was popular a few years ago. It comes back from time to time. It's called open theism. It's a false teaching. It's a false understanding of the character and nature of God that basically says God doesn't know anything until it happens, that he's not all-knowing, all-powerful, He's not omni-anything, and it's just, so they come here and go, oh, now, you know, God said, oh, now I know Abraham as if he didn't know before. 
But I want you to think about it. I want you to think about this for a second. First of all, we know in other places that God says he's all-knowing, he demonstrates it, we know that. But, but let me give you something in the personal realm. Let me give you something that you can consider. If you were a teacher up on the whiteboard of your second grade class, math class, and you're teaching kids math and you're wanting to learn math, so you go up there and you write to the class and you say, repeat after me, class, when I'm writing on the board, and you write the number two, and the class says two, and then you write the plus sign, plus, and then you write another two, and the rest of the class says two, and then you write the equal sign, equal, so you get the point. We're all in this together, the class is excited, but you don't give the answer, and then you point at the board, and what does the classroom say? Four. And then you as a teacher say, now I know you guys know two plus two. Was that something that the teacher just learned in that moment? Or was she testing them so that they could know? I propose to you that we use that phraseology all the time in our, in our common language that the math teacher knew already like she didn't know two plus two is four. Oh, now I know it's four, or now I know. We use the same terminology. Don't fall for open theism. It's not true. It's not biblical. Uh, to, to imagine, imagine for a moment. Again, I didn't want to develop it, but I've got a little bit here. Imagine for a moment that God says, oh, I didn't know what happened. Wow, it's good to know, Ed. Good to know, Keegan. That's it. That's great. No, nope. no, that's not how God is. What we learn is God is love. What we learn, right, A.B.? We learn that God is love. That's what we learn. And he so loved the world. And that's why I'm here today. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Everlasting life is ours. And the measure of his love is unending. We'll still be learning of his grace and his love because we love because he first loved us. And what's important for us as we gather, gather together, gather online, listening to this on a radio station in some other state, in some other country, streaming on the, the whole point of being revealed, being reminded of the love of God is because God loves you. It's not some abstract com concept. God loves you. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. And the whole scenario of Abraham and Isaac actually isn't about Abraham and Isaac as much as it is about God and his son, Jesus Christ wanting to connect in your life. So this study of faith is so amazing, so encouraging. Father, thank you for the new revelation, just the new learning. I mean, it's not a new revelation like you never gave it to us before, but being encouraged by these new insights in Abraham's life. And I pray, God, near or far, that in our study of your word, that our faith would grow, that whatever you're testing us in, whatever we are needing to offer up to you that we would freely and willingly, knowing that whatever we offer up to you uh, belongs to you. And I, I, I know it's a very challenging text for me in a lot of different ways, Lord, but I don't think I could have been Abraham. I know you didn't call me to be Abraham, so I'm grateful for that, but I want that kind of faith, God, where I'm trusting you where my life is and, 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 and. And it's not but, and what about, and this, and I don't know. I want to see that determinate, deliberate obedience in me, the men and women I serve with, and the glorious fellowship family I get to be a part of. That we would run the race that's before us, that we would be faithful, 
And that even if we're faithless, we remember you remain faithful. And if you're listening to me right now or watching, maybe you're in someone's room, front room, or you're listening on the radio right now, I want to invite you to consider following Jesus Christ. That's the only reason why we would teach the Bible. I mean, it's for those that are already saved, when we, those that have a relationship with God, when, they teach, when we teach the Bible, they're encouraged and strengthened. But for you that you know you're separate from God, for you that know that you're not walking with him, for you that know you are uh, in a wrong relationship with God, you're doing your own thing, like you don't need some pastor to tell you about all the sin in your life. You already know about it. And there's only one remedy for sin, and that's to repent and receive the forgiveness of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. So wherever you are, near or far, I want to invite you to follow Jesus. I'm not inviting you to follow a man or a church or a movement. I'm not asking you to, to, to somehow now become a Bible scholar. Or, I'm just asking you to consider the claims of Jesus Christ, the promises that he made. I know I didn't even share a lot of them with you, uh, but they're all in the Bible. They've been written down in the books in the Bible that are called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those four books, they're named after the guys that wrote them. That's why we use that. And you can read all about the love of God. I would suggest you start in John because the Bible actually even says, John says, these things are written so you may believe. And so I want you to believe. And the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. You need to be saved. It might be hard for you to hear, but you need to be saved, rescued, delivered. And so if you're here and you're, here, near or far, and you need to receive Jesus, I want to lead you in a prayer. You could talk to God directly. You could say, God, I admit to you that I've sinned against you, and I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I want to follow you all the days of my life. I believe you died for me and rose again, and that you're alive right now, and I'm asking for your help. I'm asking for your help. I need to turn away from my past. And I know, I know you're the way. I know you're the way and I want to follow you. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877 304 7223 or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.